This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3401 for Monday, the 16th of August 2021. Today's show is entitled Monohacks and is part of the series Tabletop Gaming. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 32 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is Klaatu muses about mono ramping in Magic the Gathering. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Thanks for listening to Hacker Public Radio. I am on a walk, and I figured I'd continue a talk that I had started on a different walk uh, about Magic the Gathering. Um, Well, I shouldn't say finish, because they're really independent of one another, these two episodes. But um, in the previous one that that made me think to do this one, I was talking about different card roles, like the different roles that a card can play in Magic the Gathering, and how... Uh, to satisfy those roles um, with specific cards, or specific specific kinds of cards, and uh, in this, at the end of that one, I thought of talking about the the resource, the the, the main resource in Magic: The Gathering, which is mana, and mana in the game is essentially a currency system to prevent players from playing all of the cards they want to, to, to play. Uh, without the mana system, you could conceive of um, you know, a combination of cards that would enable a player to just play their entire deck, essentially, and probably just never stop playing. It would be an endless turn, or whatever the scenario might be. Too many cards for one turn, anyway. So a currency system ensures that even though they have seven cards in their hand, a player can't really play any more than whatever they can afford. And the way that the currency uh, is generated is that the player puts a land card on the table in front of them, provided that they have drawn a land card from their draw deck or their library in Magic the Gathering terminology. You can play one land per turn. This action is colloquially called a land drop. And ideally, you would be making one land drop per turn. No fewer than that. Because if you do fewer than that, then you're going to fall behind the, the ideal state. The ideal state, uh, barring any exception would be that you have as much available mana as there have as the number of turns there has been in the game so far. So for instance, if on the second turn you'd have two mana, on the third turn you'd have three mana, the fourth turn you'd have four mana, seventh turn you'd have seven mana because every turn you're putting down a land card and every turn you're able to tap the land card tap, meaning turn the card over uh, sideways, Um, tap the land card to produce one mana of that color, of whatever color the land is. And that mana becomes sort of a 
floating currency that you have during that turn and you can spend that mana on playing the cards that ostensibly are going to actually win you the game and and that, that really make the game happen so you might be summoning creatures that cost a certain number of mana or you might be casting a spell that costs some some number of mana and so on what some people realized after a while after 30 years of magic the gathering existing and 25 over 25,000 cards being produced uh, diff- d- unique cards uh, card types being produced um, people started to realize that there there are advantages to um, well I shouldn't say they only realized it after 30 years I mean people have been realizing this throughout the game but over the course of th- the lifespan of the game there have, be- there have been developed some hacks around the rigid scheduling of land slash mana availability. I'm going to put them into three categories. These aren't uh, these aren't mutually exclusive categories. They there there is some overlap, and it's probably not all the categories. I wouldn't imagine. Um, I'm speaking mostly on you know based on my own experience, the cards that I happen to have purchased from under the table at a local game store, like the the discards that nobody else wanted. So I'm going off of a really motley collection of Magic the Gathering cards. I mean, I've looked some up, too, online. I've seen some on, you know, in Magic games being played. So I am speaking a little bit outside my my immediate um, availability. But, um, you know, largely... This is just kind of my take on it, and I'm assuming there's a bunch of other takes on this, and I'm by no means an expert or an authority. But I figured, why not talk about it? It's a fun, it's a fun topic for me, maybe for some of you. So, the three hacks that I can identify around mana availability, and these are these are broadly in the in the uh, the philosophy of mana ramp. That's what they call it in the, again, another term from Magic the Gathering people who who talk about this stuff. Um, when they talk about this, they talk about mana ramp. And the idea behind these hacks is to make more mana available to you above and beyond what sort of naturally you should have. By, by the, the rules of the game... The expectation is to have as much mana as you have, as as the number of turns that have passed. Just because that would be that's the natural flow of it, right? Play a land, get a mana. Play a land, get a mana. Play a land, get a mana. But you can only play a land once per turn, so you're you're only accruing one mana source per turn. These hacks get around that in some way. And so they call that a mana ramp because you're kind of ramping up the the amount of mana you have. So by turn, uh, let's say you need three mana to play some card that you have in your hand that you're just itching to play. You only have it's only a second turn. You've only got two lands. Well, what if there was a card that you could play that would make it so that you could then have uh, three, 
three mana available on turn two. What would that look like? Well, like I say, three categories. One, not, not mutually exclusive. One, adding mana outside of a land drop. So normally when you play a land, that's a new source of mana. You can tap that land and whatever other land you have untapped on the table currently and everything untaps at the beginning of your turn. So typically you have, you know, the land that you've accrued up to this point, plus the one that you've just dropped, that number of land you can tap, and now you have that much mana. So there, there's a hack where you could maybe acquire mana outside of that system, outside of the land drop system. Second category, adding mana, uh, more mana, for less, uh, for less cost. Um, I'll explain that in a little bit. And then uh, the third is adding mana over time. So normally, uh, mana only lasts till the end of your turn. Like, whatever you've used up, you've used up. And on your next turn, you untap everything and you start fresh with zero mana, essentially. It's not common for you to to acquire more mana than you sort of can afford, because you, you're you're usually pretty pretty in control of um, of how much mana you're getting. So it's, it would be a little bit rare for you to acquire a bunch of mana that you just couldn't spend that turn. You just wouldn't tap the thing, the resources that would give you that mana. But, I mean, it probably happens. There's probably ways for it to happen. Okay, so I'm gonna, those are the three categories. And now I will uh, discuss a couple examples of those. So, I guess one of them would be um, the, the first one, adding mana outside of your land drop uh, procedure. What would that look like? Well, there is a card, and and it's not just a specific card because um, I, I don't want to get that into detail. But but I mean, I'm going to name the card. But there are other cards that do similar things. So these are just kind of like I'm giving broad overviews. And, and once again, the cards that I'm mentioning are really just out out of my uh, my own. Uh, you know, sort of collection of cards, <laughs> and those cost like you know fifty cents each, so at the most. Um, so I mean, on the resale, market, if I were to sell them, they would cost about fifty cents each. Uh, I got it for even less, so wasn't. This is these are not prime examples of these categories, but they are affordable examples. So for me, that's a feature. I, I like that. So anyway, this one card that I happened to cross is called Avison's Pilgrim. And it costs one mana, one green mana, to to play this, to cast this card. And it is a creature. It's a it's a Avison's pilgrim creature. It's a person who worships Avison, a god in the world of of uh, the Magic the Gathering setting, or one of them. Um, and Normally, a creature wouldn't do have anything to do with mana. That's not really the creature's purview. That's the land. That's what land is for. It provides mana. But for whatever reason, this particularly holy, devout person, if you tap this creature that you put on the board for just one mana, you could tap this creature 
every turn of your every uh, any time on your turn every turn that you have as long as that creature is alive on your board in your battlefield and it adds one white mana to your mana pool so the the the, the exchange rate is is not bad i mean it's one for one it kind of seems kind of weird you're paying one mana and and the benefit that you get is one mana but if you think about it you know procedurally then you realize well that's that's one mana that i've been able to acquire without um without a land drop i've been able to um spend one i've been able to spend one mana on my turn to get a mana production facility on my battlefield and so you could be you know turn two you might now have after if you've played avison's pilgrim for just one green mana you've now got one two three mana sources when you really ought to only have two so you've ramped your mana production now that particular card of course is a little bit specialized it, it assumes that you are playing um, a deck of cards built from at least green and white um, cards or like cards that cost green and white mana so if you're not that would probably be less than ideal but there are cards like this is my point um, it doesn't have to be this specific one there are other cards similar to this that will give you some sort of unexpected something outside of a land because once again you can only play one land per turn so anything that gets you that that enables you to get around that restriction means that you can potentially be you know have more mana available to you uh, aside from the 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 restriction that you can only play one mana uh, one land one mana producing land per turn uh, well one land which happens to produce mana you can play one of those per turn according to the rules so a creature being able to play that that could be beneficial okay so i think that's the ad that's the, well no actually sorry there's another one um this one and this is this has a this there are a bunch of bunch of these available as well there, there there's a card uh a cycle of cards actually the signet cards um from some guilds uh, of ravnica there's uh specifically the one that i happen to have uh, is azorius signet and uh it is it costs two mana colorless mana so whatever kind of mana you have you can spend two put this artifact on your battlefield and anytime you pay one mana and tap this artifact you are allowed to add a white and a blue mana now the way i'm reading that that says to me you pay one uh oh oops this is the wrong category then okay well great so the azoria signet is a great example of the next uh, category, which was add mana for less. So in this case, you're paying two mana to put the thing out on the board. You pay one to tap it, 
and you get both white and blue mana. So again, it's kind of specific to the deck. You would want to be playing a deck that would benefit from white and blue mana. So you'd probably be playing a white and blue deck. But you're still... You're, you're tapping the card. You're paying one mana every time you do it, and you're getting two mana, two manas into your deck. Now, there was that initial investment of two mana, granted. So, you know, you have to use this a couple of times for it to sort of pay for itself, as it were. But, I mean, after one, two, three, one, two, three, four, after two uses, it's paid for itself, and you're now producing more mana than you have any right to be producing uh, at that point in the game. So again, that's kind of a combination, really, I guess, of the second, the, the first and the second, because that is outside of the land drop, and it is also getting more mana for uh, less than it actually costs. Okay, um, I guess, again, it's, it's, to zip back right up to that first category, adding mana out of a land drop, uh, this is, this, this, this may sort of suit... I guess, like I say, these categories are not mutually exclusive, so a lot of these examples are kind of kind of crossing over into other... other nobody's staying in their lane. Um, there's a card called Evolving Wilds, which I picked up, like, I don't know, ten of, because I just saw that they, th- there were a lot of them, so I was like, I'll just take these. These seem like good, sort of flexible lands to have. And indeed they are, in a weird way. Um, the Evolving Wilds um, give you... I think they provide... I think they provide colorless mana if you tap them, I think. Either way, when you sacrifice them, when you discard on purpose an Evolving Wild, you can then go get a land from your deck, I think, yeah, and put it into your hand. Or maybe it's right onto the battlefield. I don't remember which one. It seems like a one-for-one trade, and it seems like an odd way to to sort of delay the satisfaction of getting a land. But functionally, what it does is it sort of acts as a very flexible proxy for some land that that you'll need. So in other words, if you're playing two- or three-color deck, rather than putting only some number of uh, red and some number of blue land into your deck. Uh, you can put some Evolving Wilds in there, and then when you hit an Evolving Wild, when you sacrifice it, you can go back into your deck and just hunt down the color that you need right now for your hand. So there's flexibility there. Um, and it also has the somewhat unusual property of um, thinning out your deck, which, once again, you might think that seems like a negative, but it's actually, it can be a positive, because a a deck with less variety is more predictable. So if you want to make it so that your deck meets the minimum deck number requirement, or, or I guess the, the deck number requirement, which in a normal game is 60 cards, in some formats it's like 100, well... 100 different cards, 60 different cards, that's a lot of variety. And it kind of means that when you're drawing, you have very little sort of... uh, We have no way of predicting what you're going to draw. 
Whereas if you know that you have a bunch of, evol- of four evolving wilds in your deck, which would be the most that you could have, that's four cards that you basically don't have to worry about. They're, they're four cards that point back to a land, and not just any land, but if, if you're playing more than one color in your deck, uh, it's, it's pointing back to whatever land you happen to need at that moment. Or, I mean, as long as that's in your deck. So anyway, it's a flexible card. Um, it, 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 it makes, you know, I mean, like, it is a land, so it is within your land. You have to drop it at some point. But you can make it work for you at a later time, um, more specifically to what you actually, what, what's, what your deck is, you know, you can respond to how your deck is acting by, by using an Evolving Wild. It's not a killer card or anything, but it's something I thought I should mention. Okay. Um, adding, speaking of adding mana for less and adding it out of the land, uh, out of, out of the, uh, out of the land drop process, there is a card called Soul Ring, which, um, which is nice, because it's an artifact, so it's not going to be during your land drop. It only costs one mana in the first place. And when you tap it, you get two colorless mana in return. So that is like right out of the playbook of that second category, adding more mana for less cost. That soul ring, I think, definitely qualifies for that. And then there's another one, I guess... Just this is, I guess, solidly in the add mana out of the land drop. This is not a great card, but I happen to have it, and it's one that I've kind of relied on. It's quite expensive. It's five expensive in mana. It's dirt cheap in terms of money. Nobody wants this. Uh, it's a meteorite card. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, it does like two damage to your opponent. But um, I guess more importantly, uh, you can tap it for any color of mana that you want. So it's an all-purpose mana production facility. It only gives you one, but it's of any color. So once again, if you're playing a multicolor deck, you can tap the meteorite and produce whatever you need in that moment. The downside is, I guess, that it's five mana to play it in the first place. So you have to use this thing five times in order for it to pay for itself. But in the decks that I've been playing, um, mana availability has not been a problem. Um, I tend to put a lot of land in my decks, and so uh, probably to my detriment, ultimately. But I do just like to have it there. I like to have the mana available when I need it, and so that's what I do. And so paying five, uh, especially if I have some other card that's giving me additional mana... Five is relatively... I mean, that's affordable in a lot of cases. Um, so that's that's a thing that gives you mana outside of a land drop. All right. That's all of that stuff. And then there's, there's the uh, adding mana over time, which is an interesting mechanic. Um, I have two instances of it myself. I think there are probably... Well, I know there are others. There are probably almost certainly far better versions of these, but the ones that I know of, and the ones that I can speak to because I, I have them and have played with them, is the Majoring Network, which has this interesting mechanic 
where it now it is a land, so it, it is not outside of a land drop. You're going to have to play it as a land at some point. So it eats up, you know, it it stays within the 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 rules in that sense. When you tap it, it gives you one colorless mana, which is fine. Colorless mana is is a useful thing. I usually have I try to keep a fair amount of colorless mana in my deck because it's just it's generic and easy to get. I mean, not easy to get, but it's generic and, and flexible a little bit because a lot of cards need like at least one generic. Um, you, but if you pay one mana and tap the Majoring Network, you add a little token to it. I just use glass beads. You can use dice. You can use whatever. Um, you add a token to it, and those token, those tokens, are uh, mana storage tokens. And in the future you can remove some number of tokens from this card and that will add some th- 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 that much mana to your pool. So over the course of several turns, you pay one mana to load up this mage ring network. And then later in the game, when you need nine mana to pay for some fancy card or ten mana to pay for some fancy card or whatever, then you can, well, ten, well, yeah, maybe, not probably not ten. Anyway, when you need the mana, you've got it stored up on this majoring network. You can tap it, remove those tokens, deplete it, and use all that mana at once. There's a similar mechanic uh, for pri- uh, Pirate's Prize, which costs three generic mana and a blue, and when you play it uh, there's a mechanic where you can create treasure tokens, and anytime you sacrifice a treasure token, you get one mana of any color. Now, it is a blue card, so the there's a likelihood that you're going to be making blue mana out of it. But, I mean, if you're playing a multicolored deck, then you could, you could do that, or if you're you're playing something that needs more generic mana than you need than you have on the board sacrifice some treasure and turn it into mana generic mana and then you can play whatever you wanted to play um there are lots and lots of other um cards that famously and even infamously add mana outside of the the normal process and people tend to like those because like i say mana is kind of the the fuel that keeps your turn active. As long as you got mana to spend, and, and you've you've built your deck to fulfill those roles that I was talking about, such as um, you know ensuring that you have cards that are going to let you draw more cards, cards that are going to let you rummage through your graveyard or or your deck, and well, I guess through your deck would be drawing more cards, but rummaging through your graveyard to get back something that you had to discard at some point. As long as you've got the cards to sort of chain together and give yourself flexibility, then getting a bunch of mana and being able to spend it and then get another card and spend it, and then that'll get you another card from your graveyard. So you take that and you spend it because you got all the mana you need. Then you're just you're chaining together way more cards then normally you'd be able to, given how far into the game you are. So it can be a very, very powerful um, and flexible trick. 
I guess I'll just really quickly go over the three categories again, just so that we've restated them at the end. I'll put them in the show notes as well. Add mana out of outside of the land drop. Add mana for less. Add mana over time. Those are the three um, mana hacks that I know of. Those are the cards that I could find that kind of demonstrate those principles. I happen to know that there are a lot of other cards out there. Um, you know, I, I for instance, the Avacyn's Pilgrim. That's a green card that produces white mana, so it's very specific to to someone's strategy, um, but maybe not to yours, and maybe not to the cards that you happen to have. But if you look online for you know the best mana ramp cards or the most affordable mana ramp cards, you'll get taken to um, lists that are often just put out by people, so they're not always perfect, but there will be, you know, at least 10 cards that in some way manipulate mana supply. And I'm saying 10 cards per color. So you're looking at, you know, 50, 50 cards to, to sort of sort through, and then um, probably another 20 for color less mana. So you're probably looking at like 70 cards that you'll have to kind of sort through. And when I say sort through, you'll kind of want to look through them and um, see what they do, see if they match sort of what your capabilities are, type them into uh, your local uh, card supplier, wherever that, whatever that might be, uh, and then see how much they are. That, that, that excludes a bunch of them for me. Like I say, I don't really spend any more than $2 on any single card. So, um, you know, I, I try to keep it around 30 to 70 cents. Uh, limits limits me from probably entering any uh, pro tournament with all those pro tournaments that New Zealand is famous for for holding. Um, I'm, I'm kidding, of course. I, I don't want to play in pro tournaments and the tournaments, and I don't think they exist in New Zealand. So, um, but yeah, I keep it cheap, and I'm quite happily quite happy to do so. So, whatever end of the spectrum that you're on in terms of financial. Um, willingness to invest in a card game you can just kind of let that be your guide Um, there's lots and lots of choices out there and as long once again as long as you kind of know the role that you want to fill you can you can search you can look around and kind of figure out which cards are capable of of serving that purpose for you and sometimes you do have to be a little bit flexible. It took me like a good two years, I think, to really start to feel comfortable with colorless mana. It just didn't calculate for me for a long time. I just didn't understand why I would want colorless mana because that seemed so, so um, sort of specific to me. But looking at it again, I realized that colorless mana is uh, just as valuable as the colored mana because... Um, a lot of cards actually do require colorless mana. And anyway, I've started playing more artifacts, and most of those, I think, at least in my experience, have been colorless. So it's, it's a useful thing. So yeah, that's what, I've been, that's what I've been doing, working on with magic. Thanks for going on this walk with me. I'll talk to you next time.
You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.